This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt Grimm walks us through Christ's hymn of Colossians 1, showing us Christ as Creator God being preeminent in all things. Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm of Cornerstone Church. I'm here with Thad Keenel. Good afternoon. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we are back with the Planted Podcast, and we are, we've been working our way through Colossians, and we are... Uh, Still here in chapter one, um, and one of the goals of this uh, is is we always want to get people in the Word, and we thought it'd be good to just go through a book of the Bible. But as we've been talking, one of the things we're the purposes of this particular series is to help us with our Bible study, and so we've been encouraging things like reading through the entire passage, the, the entire letter, going back and doing uh, getting some of that background material on who is. Paul and in this church and who was Epaphras who planted it and some of the historical context and what's Colossae like and all those things are important and and um, and so we even talked about the last couple of weeks as we looked at Paul's introductory prayer that often in his introductory prayers and letters we start to see themes that are going to come forth in the letter that issues that he's praying for and so forth um, and and now as we look into this next section verses 15 to 20 um, this is one of the most profound sections of Paul's writings in a short amount of verses here. It's something that is often referred to as the Christ hymn. It's a, it's a very deep and rich theological um, explanation of who Jesus is. And as we ended last week with him as, as we pray, as he was praying and, and giving praise, uh, wanting the Colossians to have the ability through the Holy Spirit, to be able to give praise to the Father for the Son, the work of the Son, who is their redemption. That's how we ended last week, right? Right, Christ the uh, Redeemer, yes. Christ the Redeemer is just the, 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 the good news, the gospel of Jesus is our forgiver, and as the one who is able to purchase us through his blood and give us forgiveness of sins. Um, and so, so it, it's right out of that that this section flows, because it's out of that, praying for that praise that he then says, he goes into deep, theological reflection on who Jesus is, right? right yeah, and right. so as we look at this section, I, I don't know how much we'll get through in, in today's podcast because it is very full and rich and has, has created debate over the years on what some of these things mean. But I want to just look at the whole passage, uh, verses 15 to 20. We'll read it and then discuss there are just some structural things that will help us in Bible study as we do things like observation and it's so important to spend a long time in observation before we start doing interpretation. Because the more time we observe and try to make these connections and notice what's going on, it's going to help us interpret. And so we'll talk just a little bit about one tool that, that biblical authors use that comes even, you know, out of, can sometimes be out of the Hebrew poetry, but then is often found in the New Testament writings. It was something I think of the time of, you know, potentially even out of Second Temple Judaism that, Came, but there's a, just a structural tool, literary tool that is used um, to drive home points at times. So let's read the passage and then we'll get into some of that. Uh, so anyway, here we go. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow, that didn't take very long to read that at all. So yeah. we'll be done with this lesson in no time. <laughs> right. You know, I've Again, been, uh, it's a very yeah. dense passage, but it's yeah. just chock full of, of stuff. So. Uh, this is our fifth week in study uh, of Colossians, and I've been waiting to get to this passage for five months, <laughs> it seems like, you know, because it's so rich. Yeah. Uh, we, we all love this passage, of course. Right. It just it, it speaks so richly of who, who Christ is and... Uh, where do you take us from here? Where do you want to? Yeah. Well, I just want to start off a little bit of a structural issue, and then we'll jump into verse oh, yeah, 15. Oh, you mentioned that. Okay. And verse 15 might take us the rest of our time today. <laughs> um, but the structural issue that, again, and, and there can be debate about this among theologians and scholars, and in some senses, when you get into, into some of this, you might even call grammatical diagnostic stuff, or really, you know, trying to parse things out and, and identify structure. You can go real. You can get really nerdy and in depth in this, and some people could, you know, can find chiasms within chiasms and and all this stuff. And so I um, this so that's the structure I'm talking about. It's this word chiasm, okay. and what chiasm is is basically if we think about it, the Greek letter chi, right? Um, it's an X, and so an X. If you look at it just at the physical structure of an X, you have a, these two things that meet in the middle, these two lines that meet in the middle. And so what you what you see with the chiasm is often you have this, if you just take one edge of an X, you know, you have up, up at the top, you have an outside layer and at the bottom, you have an outside layer. And often there are parallels between those outsides things. And so, um, but in, in the, and then in the middle, they, they're right next to each other. So in within this, you can find like various chiasms. I remember my Greek professor at seminary, he, he saw multiple chiasms within this because what you're doing is like you're often identifying a common word uh, or a common theme that is then re-said later. So in, in Hebrew poetry, we would talk about sometimes how you know things are, are restated for emphasis, but maybe in a contrary form or or in the same thing, but with a diff- the same idea, but a, a maybe a heightened expression right, of it. Right, we see it a lot in whatever. the Proverbs. And yeah, things, things like that. Yeah. And so there, similar things happen in a chiasm. And so just so I just want to point out this most simple form of what I think the chiasm is here. And then you could, like I said, you could find even other chiasms within it. But the biggest thing, so think of it as a sandwich. Think of a chiasm as, as a sandwich. And so you have two pieces of bread. And then in the middle, you might have two pieces of meat. We'll just have a simple sandwich. You can have a multi-layered club sandwich if you want, <laughs> but I'm just going to try to keep this to your basic meat sandwich, all right? And so uh, the, the two layers of bread, and then with these two pieces of meat in the middle, and, the, and the, but they're the same kind of meat, right, in, in, in this sense. And so it's, like, it's just like a ham sandwich or something. So what you have in, in verses 15 through 16 is you basically have the first piece of bread. Um, and it starts out with, he is the image of the invisible God, right? Uh, and then 
And then in 18b, um, so the second part of verse 18, again, we have, we have this again. Uh, we have, he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, right? So we see the parallelism there. He is the image of God, or some translations, who is the image of the invisible God? And then, um, and then you have who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So we see there's parallelism in just the, the structure of the saying. That, so, so this first part, verses 15 and 16, what is, I'll just ask you, what's the content of, of this? Who is he? It's talking about Jesus' role in, in what? Jesus' Cre- role in creation. Yeah. So yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah. It's 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 who he is in the Christ of creation, right? And, right. And, and this is the right. It's, it's, yeah, it's speaking of, of right. the Son of the invisible God. Right. Right. Which is, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so so and we we'll get into more of what all that is, but that's kind of the first piece of bread is is that he is the the um, Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation, and then the second piece of bread. In 18b, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So you have the firstborn of creation, then you have the firstborn of dead, then everything we might be preeminent, and so forth. And what does it mean for him to be the firstborn from the dead? That that's referring to his his resurrection. His resurrection, right? And so, and the resurrection being the evidence for our redemption, right? That that we know that we have redemption in Christ, that he was victorious over sin and death and evil because of his resurrection. And so so there we see he's Lord of creation in the first piece of bread. And then the second piece of bread, he's Lord of redemption as well. Mm. Right. And so we see those two things there. But so but then what's in the middle? What's the meat of the sandwich? And usually the meat of the sandwich is the thing that these two things, the two pieces of bread are somehow pointing to or highlighting or we could even say riffing off of, right? Um, and so what is that middle section? And it's, it's 18, um, 17 and 18a. It says, He's before all things, and in him, him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. So it, in, in one sense, it's the two pieces of bread meet in the middle. And in and, and this middle section is a reflection of both the fact that he's Lord of creation and Lord of redemption. If he's Lord of creation and Lord of redemption, then what? is our summary. What can we surmise based on 17 and 18? That if he's both those things, then what is the one thing we can say about him? Right? Well, uh, well I'm not sure if you're going for this, but I mean <laughs> that he's he's creator God. Well, yeah, he is. Yeah, I would say he is. But I would, I would one thing, wait, if he's Lord of creation and Lord of redemption, we could say he's Lord of all. Oh, I got you. Right. Yeah, yeah, right I, that, I was taking it too far. Uh, no, that's no, that's <laughs> fine. I mean, he is. I mean, we 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 definitely. Yeah, that's true. That's another way to say that. But the point is, right. he is. He is. That's where this this. What we have here in this middle section is these words all. If if we see that now, not that you don't have it other places, right? But we have, he's before all things, it's and all, in yeah. him all things hold together, and 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 all for what purpose? To be the head of the church, right? And so, and we see that is the, the that is the um, the hinge piece in there that the fact that he's Lord of creation and Lord of redemption, and all those things hold together in him. Not just all things of creation, but all things of redemption. Right, make him Lord of all. That he is supreme in all things. Right, right. And so we see that's kind of the meat of the sandwich in there. And so that's the and it's exactly you know how we finished last week in verse fourteen. 
uh, where it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When we look at our verse 20 here, the last part of our section, and, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, right? Making peace right. by the blood of his cross. That's the redemption, once again. Right. It's just reiterating um, all that he's done. So everything is is in him and of him and all things. Right. So, yeah, good. Yeah. And so all the all these alls in other places are all kind of, I would say, leaning, um, are emphasizing that middle section. But there's so much stuff here. There's so much stuff to explain uh, around that. But I think the one, but it becomes important because as there have been differences and even uh, uh, there's a very major early church heresy that comes out of this, which we'll talk about, that I think is it's it's so focused on one word that it doesn't let the rest of the passage to help define that word. And that's something you say all the time, right? That, um, that we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? right? And even within this passage, we need to let the rest of this passage interpret the things of this passage as well as the rest of Scripture too. But but so that becomes important. So so I just wanted to point out kind of as a, as a Bible study tool for you is to... Those times, you know, times we need to read the whole thing. We need to look, we need to see the big picture. And there are times we do little word studies, right? But there's sometimes we get into a paragraph or a a section that seems, gosh, oh, this is very thematic. It seems to all be tightly held together. How how can we? What can we look for to help us study it, right? So sometimes we just want to get our little pencils or our colored pencils and mark things. And you know, you could come in here and you could just get a say I'll I'll choose the color pink or whatever right yeah. and every time I see the word all I'm going to circle it in pink right then I'm going to go back and say okay where's firstborn well I see firstborn twice and so I'm going to underline that in green or something you know and and just do so, in this passage I encourage you to go in there and do that and then you'll see then you see very comp- comparison contracts like visible and invisible and then later you'll see you have creation versus things in heaven and how do these things relate what's the visible what's the invisible and What's it mean to reconcile all things? And you know, it's just it's good to to um, to do some of that and hold together, and then see: Do you see any patterns? Do you see this chiastic structure? Do you see even within like the first section, you, there could be some um, there's some repeated words of verse sixteen, like all things were created at the end of, of verse sixteen. All things have been created through him again, right? And so, is there even a little chiasm uh, there? We we see some parallelism happening there in the same end. And so forth. So it's just right. it's just a tool to use. And and like I said, you we can take it too far. We can overanalyze at times, but it's it's a good tool to use in your tool belt. Is to take some of that time and observe what are the repeated words, what are the repeated things. Do I see them in parallel to each other? Do I see them pointing to something that maybe is in between that? Or you know, how do these repetitions work? Even even the use of the pronouns in here is is I think interesting, right? That. The where how it's um, you know it's in him in him in him uh, all all the place and he is before and all these things you know it just it tells me oh man this is everything in this passage is all about Jesus yeah it reminds me of the right? of Ephesians in the beginning right or yeah the, the yeah so so yeah. so, it, so it, sometimes we we see something like that we well duh of course it is about him you you know but to see the amount of times that that he or him is used in this thing is to me is just it's emphasis upon emphasis that Paul is, is driving something home very significant about Jesus. Right. Here, right. Right. And and as you and I uh, well know, the the more time that you spend in in these six verses, 
the bigger it seems to get. You know what I mean? It almost like, I mean, the emphasis, you, right. you, you, when you read this through the first time, I was trying to just listen to it for the first time, and it has yeah. a very nice flow to it, and mm-hmm. I can understand, you know, what's being said. But as we start to dig into this, God is going to become so big, Jesus Christ is going to be so big that we're not going to be able to, we're going to be overwhelmed with, yeah. with it, you know? Right. And it's, a, I, I know when I'm, if I'm reading this passage out loud in front of a class, yeah. I almost can't get through it. I mean, well, I can't do that hardly right. anyways, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, uh, it's just, it's so amazing and um, looking forward to, to jumping into it. Yeah. And so I would encourage you to, again, it just, this is again, we're wanting to get you planted in the scripture. We want to get you digging in. And taking those times to to dig in deep, and and once you do that, you know, but you can, um, you know, you can get out your Bible dictionaries. Encourage you to, to do that. I encourage you to use different resources to do some of the study on some of these things. But the other thing is with this particular passage too, it can just become something you use to worship God. Mm. So in your own personal devotion time, you know, we got, we have the Psalms, we have. Uh, so many great things. It's just good to just read and reflect and worship. And sometimes it's and to meditate on. Sometimes you don't have you don't need to get into that big study and using the colored pencils and doing all that stuff. I mean, there's a place for that, but there's also a place for this passage to just use it almost like a psalm. Just if if you before any before you get down and read any passage of scripture, pull out Colossians one fifteen to twenty, and open up in prayer and just or before you even open up in prayer, read this and it will drive you to worship. Right. It will it will it's so rich in who Jesus is and, and why why should we worship him? Read Colossians 1 15 to 20 and it'll tell you. <laughs> right. And you could spend just your whole quiet time, your whole devotional time just reflecting and, and worshiping and meditating on it and giving God praise for it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's well worthwhile. So um so anyway, uh, just want to again start out with that structural point and help us see the significance of of how we can do that understanding how to just use how to use the scriptures both for for in-depth study but also for for the 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 purpose of of meditation and worship and all those things. So so let's get in now to this to verse 15 and, and let's talk about this phrase he's the firstborn of all creation because this caused a bit a bit a bit of trouble in in church history. <laughs> um, so but before we get before we get there, um, actually, I think it, it's because here we're going to be dealing with creation, right? Um, we also have this phrase ahead of that: "He's the image of the invisible God," or "or who is the image of the invisible God," uh, which which actually I think would, is probably a little bit more literal. Is actually the "who" versus the "he." Um, there's some you know grammatical scholars can debate over that way the use of this pronoun here. But the the point is is that where the first question is. Where do we remember hearing this image of God terminology in Scripture? Right in the creation, Genesis. Mm-hmm. Right. right in the beginning. Right. And so who was in the in the beginning, in that Genesis 1, who was the image of God? Adam. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, right? And so, so we see that there's this connection here of um, with Jesus... And who we know is, is became human, right? Is is being used as the as the image of the invisible God. Um, now, how did that? Did Adam and Eve remain the the image of God? Well, there because of the sin uh, and the fall. Uh, there's some that would say that that image, in the very least, was tarnished. Yeah, 
Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. I wouldn't go so far as saying it was lost completely, right, right. but there is. It was distorted. It was tarnished. It kind of became. I've heard the analogy before. It's kind of like when you go to the uh, carnival and you go through the fun house and you look at that that mirror, right? That, that's all this funny, and you look and you're all this weird shape and so forth. You know that that's kind of that's what sin has done to us as the image of God. Instead of reflecting God who truly. How we're, as we're supposed to, it's distorted. And I would say mine's not just wavy and distorted. It's also cracked pretty severely. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so think about one of those carnival mirrors that also is just has the hundreds of cracks running through it, right? You know, that, yeah. that you can still make out, okay, that's that's a human, right? But but in, but uh, but Jesus, as he does that, it, he's he's got this, he is the image of, you know, he is doing that Um as as humans were intended to. Well, it's interesting that, you know, when we think of an image of something, um, it refers to something being in the likeness mm-hmm. of the other. And so when Adam and Eve are created in the image of God, uh, that likeness that stays with us is our sense of, uh, of right and wrong, our consciousness, right, that, mm-hmm. that no other creature has. So we have the ability to, to make moral decisions mm-hmm. and choices where the rest of the animal kingdom operates on instinct. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that being said, um, that image of, um, or likeness in the scriptures, uh, actually is talked about more. So and when you speak of images, when it comes to, uh, the warnings against, idolatry and creating images of god right well yeah yeah it definitely you know in in the ancient near eastern mindset the image was the representation of god and then very the small g gods right the other elohim uh, not the one big elohim god who made all the others but (laughs) that one uh, they yeah they would they would make idols of them they would make physical representations in order to identify them and worship them and I think that's one of the reasons why God says don't make idols, right? Because one, because there's only because I'm the true God. There's that element of it. But the other element of it is that if you make, even if you're trying to make an idol of Yahweh, which which obviously the Israelites did um, a, a after they, you know, while Moses was up on the mountain and God right. got so upset, is right. like, no, I you can't. One is you shouldn't make idols. Try to make idols of me because that's who you're supposed to be. I don't need idols made of me because images made of me because that's who you're supposed to be. You're my you're the you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests who represent me to the nations, right? right. And so that's your function. Why why make it, you know, if you make an idol of something else, one that that is, you know, improper theology because that they're not real, they're not the true God. Right. But but even attempting to do that of me would be wrong because that's what your function is, right? right? So, so the the image of God falls short because an image in of itself, uh, and or an image that's created with human hands is worthless, right? Right. So Christ is being differentiated here, where He is the image of right. the invisible God. Yeah. And how is that? Because He is the all powerful one, right? Right. And so He He can be that perfect image right. because He's the creator of all things. He's the one that we're gonna that we're gonna find out. Mm-hmm. Um, is shown as as not only equal to God, but coexistent with Him and and God Himself, right? As we read in, in John, for example, right? He right. was face so, to face with God, but yeah. he he was God. Yeah, and so I think that's that's very important as we then now deal with this phrase, the firstborn of creation. What does Paul mean by that? And we have to let the rest of this passage and the rest of Scripture help define that for us, right? 
Um, we do because when you, if I just read this on my on my own my, for the first time, and you just are reading this passage, mm-hmm. he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We could almost be just talking about Adam here, for example, right. right? The firstborn. This is the first man, even though this is talking about the Son of God. Well, maybe he was created first before the rest of creation, so right. he came into existence. That'd be that would be that wouldn't be taking it. Um, improperly and reading just that sentence by itself. Not necessarily, right. And, and so that be, that be actually becomes a big thing. But then you have to ask, too, is, is, is he directly just talking about humanity? Because God, because there were other, you know, beings that he created before humanity, you know, potentially in, in terms of the spiritual beings, right? right? Yeah. You know, and so he is, he is, is he the firstborn over them as well? Is he the firstborn of just humans? Um, but I thought Adam was the firstborn human, you know. There's all kind of questions that revolve around this that we have to say, and that's where I think in the, in these other phrases here of of what it describes him of doing helps us with that. But I do want to just highlight one reason why this is important because in church history there was about a hundred years where there was a lot of debate about this. Uh, there, yeah, there's about a hundred years where there's a lot of debate about all this, and so there was this man who lived. Uh, who was evidently a pretty successful preacher and uh, who would say he was a, a follower of Christ, um, a man named Arius, who was in, who was who held the belief that Jesus was not co-equal with God, that he did not exist eternally with God, but he actually was a he, he's a created being of God, and and so. It's out of this her- this heresy that was named after this man, the Arianism, uh, came to be, and that some of the very first big church councils and things met to discuss this issue. But I just want to read from this little pocket dictionary of religious movements of what the, what how we would define this heresy. Uh, that it is basically uh, Arius. Could, he was a it says he was a thoroughgoing Greek rationalist who inherited the, the almost universally held Logos Christology of the Eastern Roman Empire. And so that Logos related to that, that um, the word of Jesus being the word and, and what that is. And so he, so in, in his mind, I think he's trying to be biblical, right? Um, so he says, he contended that God was immutable and unknowable. Therefore, Christ had to be a being made by God as the first in the created order. Right, so he's the first in the created order, but he himself isn't God, right? Um, and so it says here the Orthodox counterattack on Ari- counterattack on Arianism pointed out that Arian theology reduced Christ to a demigod and, in effect, introduced polytheism into Christianity. In February 325, Arius was condemned as a heretic at the Synod in Antioch in the Council of Nicaea, which met in May of 325 condemned Arius in his teachings, uh, but in, in, instead of resolving the issues, the council la- launched an empire-wide Christological debate during that, which it often seemed that Arianism would actually triumph, but in the end, the Orthodox Christian that we hold today uh, would dispute that, and that's where we have some of our creeds, like the, the Nicene Creed comes out of this that actually um, would counter that Arianism, right? That said, right. he is God of God. That he is the true God. All those, all those kind of things. And so, I think it's important to know that that that. But there are still movements today that fall into the same error. And so, we there are a couple 
um, groups, religious groups today that would hold maybe not every tenet of Arius, but would, would be very similar, and that is the Unitarians. Today, the Unitarian Church does not would, would, would have more of an Arius, Arianistic view of Jesus that would not see him as um, co-eternal with God, and the Jehovah's Witnesses as well would, would also hold that view. Uh, and so, so when, if the Jehovah's Witness ever comes to your door, right, and they start talking to you and we, they start, we start having a debate about who Jesus is, this is why. Right. It, it comes out just that basically, you know, it, the, whether they would hold every tenet or not, but basically you could say, say Jehovah's Witnesses are, are kind of Arians. Right. And for, so, for the listener, that if you're doing the studies, like this is, this sounds like this is complicated stuff, and it is. Uh, but as Pastor Matt was mentioning earlier, uh, this this verse doesn't exist in isolation. Mm-hmm. It exists in the balance of the rest of the context right. and with the rest of the scripture surrounding it. So when you run into um, something upon first blush that sounds like, man, this is controversial or this is different than what I understand, you have to balance it against the rest of scripture. And that's what we um, right want to try to right. try to do and stick with. Yeah, and so so I want to just start with this passage and say why having Jesus being a created being in in essence. What within what within this passage seems to speak against that itself, right? So because one of the things that's happening is it's even the way this phrase is in the Greek is do we do we take this as a was he the first part of the totality of creation which for you um, grammar nerds out there, I don't even understand this, but I just I know this from my notes here. Is this that would be the partitive genitive of this this the firstborn of creation, right? How do you take this firstborn? What's its relationship to the creation, or is it the what they call the genitive of reference? Is it with respect to creation? Is he the firstborn with respect to creation? All these kind of things to that, and if if it's that, you look to the context of sixteen to seventeen to help us figure that out. And so what is what does the rest of, of of this little passage here say? Well, it says, In him all things were created. The heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, powers, throne, everything. So any anything you can think of, and we'll get into some of those other words here in a minute. But basically, if we take this all thing of creation, if all things were created um, because of him, or in him, by him, then what does that say about him? It says that the Father created the Son first, and then Jesus created everything else. <laughs> well, that could be that would be one view, right? That right. that would be potentially the Arian view. But what's I guess what I would say is, what's wrong with that? Um, in, in even even in even in the way this itself is written, what's the um, what's the why would this be written this way if that's if that's what happened? Well, that's where that's where it gets cleared up by the balance of the text, right? right? Because here we see that it's through him, that is through the Son, that all things are created. So this right. is everything everything ever in the entire universe is created by him and for him. So there's there's a second Right. that category but then it also says that he was before all things right so yes so that's it so he 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 can't he can't be before all things if if he himself was created 
Exactly, right? That's where the meat of the sandwich comes in, right? Because I, I would even argue that even as we look at that first piece of bread, that in him all were, that, that it's like, okay, I guess you could go there logically, but it just, it, it seems a weird way to to heighten that. You know, that it's like you're lift, in some senses, oh, he's created, but, but we're still going to worship him because he created everything else. I mean, it seems like in some sense, God would be, the father would be creating an instant rival with himself if that was the case, right? Right. <laughs> right. But then it's a very important, that's where verse 17 is so important, right? That he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Um, that, that that seems to, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I understand maybe how you could still try to hold that out there, but it, it seems to me, that even here, it, it, you're, it's a big stretch. Well, even the other thing passage, that right? um, happens is I think some of the language of royalty gets lost, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking about the preeminence of Christ. And this image that's given to us here shows the Son of the Father, right, mm-hmm. as the heir of all things, and so it is it is more just this lofty language that that is being spoken of because Christ is the one that inherits right and then we become co-heirs with him but right. he, he's he's first and foremost just showing that he is positionally equal with God yeah it's trying to delineate his primacy right, right. over all creation um and so, and in that sense, it, therefore, his deity, right, in that. And so, uh, but there are some other things that I think can, like we said, that we need the rest of Scripture to help us with this, right? And so, I think it's it's um, it's good to even it's good to always say, can we even go to the Old Testament to help us with this? Because because that's what you know that's what Paul's using as his scriptures, right? The he he may have, you know, the likelihood that he was. That he had that John, you know, the Gospel of John was in his hands at this point. I would say would probably be small, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? For sure, yeah. um, but so if if we go to like Psalm eighty nine, uh, is he drawing on any of this kind of language? And so in Psalm eighty nine, we have in, in verse twenty seven of Psalm eighty nine, it, it says, "I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth." Um, ah, there, there's that similar phrase, right, of the firstborn. And what's this uh, talking about? Well, it's talking about David, his servant. It's talking about the kingship of, of and, and looking to the, the, to the one king who is, who is going to be all this, right? And so if we jump back up earlier, it says the, uh, the enemy in verse 22, the enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him, but I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And so that whole, you know, David himself wasn't the firstborn of his family. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's not it's not. It's, but what does that firstborn mean? It's that whole idea of preeminence, the whole idea of primacy, the whole idea that it is is he is exalted to that place. Right. And so it I think that's important to see that that 
idea is is present, and and Paul's likely drawing on that in terms of his his kingship. He is the firstborn. He is exalted because all things are for him and through him, and which actually leads to the fact that his you know that it's through him that the redemption is going to come as well, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's important then to see that the they the firstborn is 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 quali- in there is qualified with the highest of the kings of the earth, and it kind of indicates it indicates in that context that you know God is showing him as to ex- being exalted into in the high to that highest place. And Paul's I think drawing on that to talk about the exalted nature of 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 Christ um, in creation. And so does that does that in and of itself wrap up the whole uh, debate about Arianism? Not necessarily. Right, um, but I think it does describe why he would use the word firstborn. Right, sure. That yeah. he's he's using it for that purpose. He's not saying that Jesus was born. <laughs> no, he's right, not right, using right. it to talk about the fact. Well, well, Jesus was actually the first human born before before Adam, or you know, or anything else, or things like. It's not trying to describe him as. A created being it's trying to describe him as the exalted one above all above all else uh, I would argue for what it's worth I think I think it's it's important to see and that which which again to me makes the rest of the the just that verse and the rest of the passage just flow with it right if we look at it he if it's describing his as the exalted one of all creation then it makes sense that in him all things were created, heavens and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, or dominions, rulers, powers, and all things by him and for him were created, right? Right. It's speaking of his, his eternal divine existence. Yeah. Right. And then as such, the, the creation is being attributed to him here, but it's also attributed to the Father and other passages, and it's even attributed to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. So right. You, you see this triune God, the the, the exactly the, the, the Trinity, you know, separate in persons, but yeah. one but one God, and it's a, a complicated thing to seek. But we have to let the Scripture uh, speak for itself here, mm-hmm. and I think that makes the most sense. But the Son as as the Creator, he's he's the divine agent in all of creation. Um, this is being said here, and if we just look at something that Christ said. Um, like I don't know how Arius would get around this, for example, if he's if he's claiming to be a believer and he's going to pull this out from there. What does he do with the term when Jesus Christ is speaking of the Pharisees when they're claiming Abraham as his father? And he says, Be, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am ego Amy the, in the right. Greek. Yeah. Totally. They would understand exactly what he was saying. The Pharisees sure didn't think of the Arian controversy <laughs> that Jesus was like, oh, well, maybe he was the firstborn. No. They were saying, no, he is saying that he is the great I am. They were accusing him of blasphemy. Blasphemy, right, right, right. for claiming to be Yahweh. Exactly, yeah. So, so again, and they, we could point to a lot of other scriptures. The John chapter 1 with right. the, the word made flesh. The, the uh, you know, we could go to just the nature in, in which Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man and what that comes to from Daniel 7. You know, there, there's so many places to look for for the deity of Christ that, that backs this right. up. Right, and we're not saying you that know? it's not without um, an apparent paradox. Right. I mean, it is, but we're dealing with God, right? right? It, and so, exactly, and that's why I think we need to understand why, that's why I think it's, it's just important to understand why does Paul use this frame, phrase firstborn of all creation? I think he is, I it's likely he has you know, Psalm 89 in, in mind, mind. Sure. And, and just that whole, you know, what that, 
is signifying. But I, before we before we close out this verse, I do want to deal with this. The rest of this, what he chooses to say was created by Jesus. So, so we have the the heavens and, and on the earth, right? All things were created, heavens and on earth. And we've talked about this this you know view of the created order. You know that you have the you know the heavens, the earth, and you also have this kind of the under. He doesn't talk about the under the earth at this point, but mm-hmm. but you, so so with that we have visible and invisible. So some people could say, okay, the heavens. Now we have the visible part of the heavens. We have the sun, moon, stars, and all that stuff. But we also have often we think of the heavens, we think of the spiritual beings, right, that are there. Uh, and so we have which we would say are invisible. So you have angels, demons, you know, the, all, all the spirits, the, the cherubim, the seraphim, all the that realm. Is is there and Jesus? He's saying Jesus created that. It's not just the it's not just the the earthly realm, but also the heavenly realm is created by Him, right? Mm, right. And so, and so we have this further. So, so we have the heavens, the earth, the visible, the invisible. And then it says, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or powers, all things were Him and created for Him. So, when you think of thrones, powers, dominions, and rulers, um, what do you think of? What comes to mind when you think of of, of those things, I just would immediately be thinking of the nations around the world, okay, uh, and, and and the powers, um, kingdoms, yeah, know, dominions, how, kingdoms, rulers, powers, all things. That, that'd be the first um, thing that I would think of. Yeah, but given the context that he's talked about heaven and earth, he's talked about visible and invisible. Do you think it's possible that these dominions, rulers, and powers are both visible and invisible? Is there a do you think there is a invisible counterpart to the visible? There's no question. Yeah. I mean, we've we've been talking about this for a while in our other studies, right? Because mm-hmm. of, uh, of the Deuteronomy 32 yeah. context and and whatnot. Plus, understanding what some of these Greek words can re- relate to, it speaks yeah. of the angelic realm often. Right. And so those those powers are. Um, Often in, in other of Paul's writings, you think about Ephesians chapter six, right? The the, the spirit that the, the the battle isn't against flesh and blood that he get be, but it's against the the powers and authorities, and it's the same words being used right, here, the, right. the exousia, I think it is, and so forth. So so yeah, so I think it's important that we see that as we read this, that that again, that's one of those context things. We have this heavens, earth, visible, invisible, and then he has weather, and I think in that you know whether thrones or dominion. That he's he's describing both of those realms as he's talking about dominions, rulers, powers, and therefore he can say all things by him and for him were created, um, and, and so why is that important today for us to understand that? Well, a couple things. Even as we're talking about you know the heresies of the day, we have heresies today, or you know con- which are just contrary thoughts. They're kind of alternate ways of thinking, right? And that are contrary to, you know, orthodoxy, which would be the, the Christian. Right. Know. So if I were to say, if I when I look at the news today, this world is spinning out of control. <laughs> there, there's right. It's, it's yeah. complete, complete yeah. chaos, and mm-hmm. we better do something to get this world organized properly. Yeah. Right. That's that's not looking at it with a spiritual set of eyes. To understand that potentially God, not, right. yeah, potentially thinking that, that that we can just take control of this ourselves, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, but I also think there's also like I I would say that 
we have to understand the different things that have discipled us over the years. So I, I, I tell the story. I can't remember if I've done it on this podcast or not, but that one of the things that has discipled me when I was younger was Scooby-Doo, right? So I would watch <laughs> Scooby-Doo growing up, and, and Scooby-Doo, there were the, one way or another, there was always some kind of villain, and that villain often was being had some kind of was like a ghost or some kind of monster or some kind of thing that by the end of the story, the Thelma and um, Daphne and Daphne or... and Fred, you know, <laughs> would, would somehow um, pull the mask off or they would show that it was just a film projector. They would basically debunk the idea that monsters or ghosts or spiritualized exist, right? Because it came from a very naturalistic viewpoint that, you know, rationalism that we just, if we could just prove the thing behind the thing that it's, it's all, there is no such thing as ghosts, right? So you're about to explain to us that we're about to see the reversal <laughs> of that in reality. Yeah, I, I had to unlearn that, yeah. right? And so I, I grew up in the church, I grew up reading the Bible, but you know, but you know, in the Bible there are things like demons. There are spiritual realities that are there. And, 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 a lot of our world is, is trying to poo-poo those realities. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there are a lot of fake things that are out there, and there are a lot of, you know, fake magicians, wizards who are trying to fool you and, and abuse this and stuff. But, but at the same time, I need to realize that there are these spiritual forces at work. Yeah, well, I was getting ready right? to, to think that you, where you were going, and you just said it, actually. Yeah. But, you know, if we were to take the particular leaders of the nation that are, are evil or whatever— mm-hmm. And pull their mask off. What we would see is a spirit, possible spirit realm behind it. Like, for example, I think we mentioned this before, but uh, with the archangel Michael wrestling with the prince of Persia. I mean, yeah, right. So right. that that was a spirit realm, and that was yeah. dealing with that battle of that time. Right. We and as we're doing this podcast, you know, there's a war going on in Ukraine right now, uh, and so. Are there spiritual forces at work? I would say, yes. Do I know what they are? Can I name them? Do I know that Putin or whoever else is being ruled? I don't know. I, I, I can't see that. Yeah, yeah we, right. But, but, I, but I believe they're at work, right? And they could even be work on, at work on both sides, <laughs> you know? And so I, I think that that's something that we just have to know that it's, it, I'm not raising that to say that we have to understand all that, but I think it's important to say when people bring up things like that, we, we shouldn't just excuse it and say, oh, that's just a bunch of hogwash or whatever, right? The, the, the Bible seems to say that there are these visible and invisible powers and authorities that are at place. And so do I say that to scare us? No, actually, the whole point of this is to say Jesus is Lord of them. Right. They have no power over him. And in his and by his resurrection, he has shown, as we'll see later in Colossians, uh, that he put them to shame. Actually, right, right? Uh, in his resurrection. So, but I bring it out to say that, but also in other parts of the world where people really do believe in that. I, I mean, I've gone to tribal places where they be, there's a strong animism and they believe in these spiritual forces and they think that there are these other small g gods that that are influencing them. And, and I don't want to just disregard those thoughts right away. What I want to do is actually say that the reason I don't fear those gods that you fear is because I believe in the one true God, right? And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is before all things and in all things are made, he actually made those things, right, that you fear, and he has put them to shame, and he is Lord of them. And there's nothing in creation, as he, as he says 
in, in Romans 8, right? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. No, no force, no power, no death or life or no being, right? Because, because why? He is preeminent over all of them. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and so with that, I think it's a very important, and it, it's that, that that even deserves so much of our worship, too, that when we understand that he's not just the firstborn over over the nations, he's the firstborn over the spirits who, who are having influence in the nations, right? Or the, 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 the spiritual beings, whatever. He is Lord of all. And, and then we don't understand, you know, why they, they do some of the things they do or why God has ordained that they are doing that. That's another podcast, another conversation. But as it relates to this, he is, though, he is um, over all of them. Right. He's right. over them and they are serving him, even though it may look like they're not. Right. Yeah. But they just like. Um, we said this in class the other day, I think, was uh, Lucifer or Satan is the Lord's devil, right? He was created and it's for a purpose. And it's not that we would ever say that anything that the devil's um, agenda is is good, right? Mm-hmm. But that God can use his creation to exact his purposes, right. right? It works for a larger decree that God has brought out, just like um, in the fall of man, our salvation and redemption, because it's Christ that we're going to learn is redeeming all these things yeah. for for himself. Yeah, and then we'll get into that um, as, we, as we go through the rest of the, these verses. So the other thing is, I think it's in, interesting with this is we think about that in him all were created and by him they exist, all these things that if, just this thought, if 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 Jesus didn't exist, if, 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 if God, that nothing else would, right? If, if somehow, um, if Jesus would have remained in the grave, which we know he he didn't and he wouldn't but that that everything else would just like everything there would be nothing else right right that 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 all things hold together he's you know because of him that it's his it's the it's god himself father son and spirit right that is is keeping all my little these atoms and protons and neutrons and things that are holding my cells together that it's Jesus who's doing that. Mm-hmm. That's just so crazy to think of. I had a friend of mine posted on Facebook this week saying that if you, he said something, I, I don't to remember, but if you took just all, if you were able to measure like every atom of your body and you were to squeeze them all together, right? The, the, the actual like physical structures or whatever, they would fit in like a three micron box. Or, or, oh, is that like, right? Yeah, something like that. And so and the, and the rest of us is is like the space, right? And some is just is just like what is the rest, what's holding all that stuff together, right? What is that you know that is is doing that? And it's it's like and I'm like it's Jesus. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he says in him all we hold together, all things hold together, right? right yeah. And so it, it's amazing when scientists like study these or find these things, and it's like you know it's like where is the suffer? You know, even like you think about the the outer space, right? And just the amount of distance between stars and galaxies and planets and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, how does it all hold together? Right. 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 Jesus. <laughs> That's it. Jesus in him. Um, he's before all things and in him, all things hold together. I mean, it's just, and, and so, uh, so yeah, th- that, 
that the meat of the scene, and we'll talk about it some more, is just, it's so profound. I mean, you can get so philosophical and deep when, when you start thinking about the nature of that. But but it's all worthy of praise. It's all coming out of what he ended, you know, his prayer ended. He, he had to just break into this great hymn to talk about about Jesus. And so, um, so yeah, so next time we'll continue on with this. But it's very important that at times as we think about the scripture and we think about getting in and, and why is theology important? Why is the, you know, some of this nerdy conversation that we had, why did I read from this, you know, nerdy book about Arianism and, and things like mm-hmm. this? It's because that, because it is important because we can get off track and these, these theological things can lead to false worship, can lead to not the full glory of God that we are intended to reflect in things. And so, um, so yeah, it, it's good to take some time um, and, and delve into these things and know why and why did it become such an important part of church history and why is it shaped who we are today and all those things. And because ultimately it, it, it does impact who we are as Christ followers, that we need, we we want to get in the scriptures. We want to search these things out. We want to answer those questions. Um, well, recall this, to worship God yeah. in spirit and in truth. Exactly. Right. And so the scriptures themselves, the gospel message is simple enough for a child to understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've talked about before, there are some things that are more difficult. And so the more that we're going to learn about God, which is his revelation to us is his, his word, um, it's not all simple, right? So we have to right. we have to be able to wrestle through this if we want to know him better and truthfully. Yeah, exactly. And and, and as we do that, uh, I believe that it help it strengthens our faith. It gives me more confidence in Christ, more ability to see whatever's going on in the world, whatever things are. Who, where do I go for answers? I go to the one who is the firstborn of all creation, <laughs> who is who has primacy over everything. I go to the one who is that he because as that he's the ruler of all, right? Whether invisible, visible, thrones, thorns, powers, whatever. Who do I go to? I go to the one who's before all things, mm-hmm. um, and in him all things hold together, and that includes me. Yeah, right. Uh, in in this century, in this part of the world, um, whatever we're dealing with. Um, I go to Jesus. Well, that ends our time together. Next time, we will continue our look at the preeminence of Christ in creation and as the head of the church. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.